I want to start real quickly by letting you know kind of where we're going to go next out of this series. Um, March 4th, we're going to begin a new series um, called I Believe in God, But. Um, and it's, it's kind of ironic that it's happened right when it has with this fell. This has been on my, my preaching calendar since June. Um, but it's one of those things that um, most people will say, I believe in God. Um, across our nation. But there are some huge questions um, that are attached to that, that come along with that. Um, Predominantly the problem of evil, um, with what we've just seen last week. The questions of, well, why does evil happen? And maybe more importantly, God, where are you in the midst of that evil, and what are you doing about it? And so we're going to spend basically the month of, month of March kind of working through what's a pretty big, heavy topic. Um, but I want to encourage you, um, if you have friends who struggle with faith, I would almost guarantee this is probably one of the predominant questions that they struggle with. And um, this would be a great series for you to invite them to, to come be a part of it. But we'll begin that on March 4th. Today we're going to wrap up a series entitled The Core, and we've been talking through the last six weeks about some of these core values that we think are so important for us moving forward as we um, move to our 2030 vision, exalting Christ, encouraging one another, and engaging our neighbor. And what um, the engagement team has been working on is predominantly, how do we get outside of these walls? with the people that we have, the resources we have. And so I want to encourage you to make sure you fill out that survey next week if you aren't here to go online and get that done because that will help us as a church figure out where we have the greatest abilities to reach the people around us that God has placed us right here for a purpose for. And so um, that will be next week. But we've talked about these values. The first one was pursue God together. We think it's so important that we pursue God personally in our relationship with Him, walking with Him in prayer, and allowing Him to form and transform who we are. But not just that we would do that on an individual basis, but as a community of faith, we would do that together. And we would understand the one thing that unifies us above everything else is a cross and an empty tomb. And because of that, we have this unity, this synergy together as his people, his body. Um, Secondly, that people matter. People matter to God and people matter to us. And that we are going to be committed to walking with people, not giving up on people, um, making sure that that is a part of our identity as the body of Christ. That we want to be outrageously generous. We want to see needs and meet needs. Not just financially, but taking the time to listen to people through serving, through sharing what God has given us to bless others. That circles and not rows are really important. That that rows are important. It's important to come together and share and to encourage and to lift up. But it's also really important to gather in circles where you have close community with other people. Fifth was invest and invite. Those people that we say are really important, we want to invest in their life. And we want to invite them into this journey with us. And I gave you three questions last week to listen for as you're having conversations with people who who don't feel like they belong, don't feel like they matter. 
Um, listen for someone who says, I'm not from here. I'm new to town. I'm not from here. Hey, you should come to our church. Um, things are not going well. Things are not going well. Our job is a struggle, and hey, you should come to our church. And then not prepared for. You know, we, we had this child, and I wasn't prepared for that. We had a teenager, and they started middle school, and man, we weren't prepared for that. Um, we lost a spouse. I wasn't prepared. Hey, you should come to our church. Come join us. Because it's those times when people are really searching, when we have the greatest ability to invite them into this journey, because they're very open to finding life and finding community and finding connection. And so this week, I want to talk about this last value, multiply yourself. Multiply yourself. And I want to begin with this premise this morning. Someday, someone will do what you do. Someday, someone else will do what you do. Whatever it is that you do in this capacity, whether it's run sound systems, or teach a class, or are a shepherd, or are a deacon, or a ministry leader, someday someone else will do what you do. And for some of you, you say, well, I'm, I'm, not even, I'm not even a leader. Let's just back up a little bit. If you have children, then you are a leader. And you are preparing your kids to one day do life without you by their side. And the question that we need to be asking is, how do we leave a legacy that goes beyond our lifespan? How do we leave a legacy here that goes beyond our life? Because one day someone else will do what you do. Because you'll move on from what you do. Or, heaven forbid, six of your very best friends will carry you right out this aisle and place you in the ground. And I don't mean that to be morbid or to make you think about death, but here is the thing. At some point, someone else will be doing what you do. Wouldn't it be great to be around to see them do it. So I want to talk just a little bit this morning about how we do that and how we multiply ourselves. We're going to begin Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come? And I am reading the wrong passage. Hey, let's try um, chapter 5 of Luke. Hey, I have it marked. I mean, for goodness sakes. Let's just start over. Hi, my name is Gary. I, this is my first time to ever do this. Um, Hey, um, Luke, chapter 5. Like, that wasn't sounding familiar at all. Sorry. Everyone there now? I think I am. Okay. One day, 
Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into the boats and he the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore, and then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he did all. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had just taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. Just another chapter later, and this is not on the screen, it says, One of those days Jesus went up on a mountainside to pray. When the night, when the morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. He designated them his apostles. And he goes on to name those disciples. So question, how did Jesus' disciples become his disciples? How did Jesus' disciples become his disciples? He chose them. He chose them. Out of a group of people gathered around, he looked at this person and said, you come follow me, and you come follow me, and you come follow me. And he called these people and committed to walk alongside them on this journey. Because he had this plan that one day he was not going to be around to hold their hand and do ministry together. And so if he wasn't going to be here and this mission was to continue past him, he better leave it in the capable hands of someone else. And so he chooses these people, and he calls them, and he does life with them, and he serves with them, and then he sends them off. In the New Testament, it talks about discipleship. It talks about discipling and sharing with one another. But that word, I think, is so foreign to us in our world and our culture today. I want to talk about a word, apprenticing. Because I think this probably looks a lot more like something we're very familiar with in our world. Apprenticing. Selecting, modeling, and coaching for the purpose of multiplying yourself. 
selecting, modeling, and coaching for the purpose of multiplying yourself. I mean, at its core, I think that's what discipleship is. You come follow me, and let's do life together. Let's do ministry together. And then there's going to come a time when I'm not able to do it right alongside you, and you're going to go and do it by yourself. Like, that was the plan for the kingdom from the beginning. Jesus did not come to this earth, die on a cross, and say, okay, got no plan. He had a plan from the very beginning that I'm going to do ministry, I'm going to call people to do ministry with me, and then I'm going to send them out and helped. So, So what did discipleship, what did ministry look like for Jesus In his context, first he began with succession in mind. I think he understood one day he was not going to be here to do ministry with them. And so he had to be able to set them up to do it on their own. He understood that in the end they were going to have to be able to stand up on their own two feet. And so he handpicks a few people and says, you come follow me. Out of the hundreds that are gathered around him, there's these 72 that he's going to send out. And out of that, there's this other group of the 12, specifically that Jesus pointed out and said, you are going to be my apostles. You are going to be the reason this message continues. But then even within the context of the 12, there's three. There's Peter, James, and John that it seems like Jesus spends more and more and more and more time with than anyone else that he pours his life into. Like, this was the plan. There was no plan B. We're going to go and minister, and then I'm going to set you loose, and I'm going to send my spirit to live inside of you and to empower you and to give you strength and to help you do ministry, and that's going to flow out of you. But one day, I won't be here to do it with you. And I think Jesus understood that. Third, he never did ministry alone. That as he's serving, as he's healing, as he's praying over, as he's teaching, you always see these disciples around him that he's committed to walking alongside of. He's always got people with him. And then he does ministry where he's still around to debrief, to talk about this ministry and what's going on. So, Some examples I want you to, to, to think about. Jesus has been teaching And there's this massive crowd of 5,000 people. And these 5,000 people are hungry, and the disciples realize that, and they say, there's a problem, Jesus. They need to eat. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. They say, well, we we can't do that. We don't have enough money. There's not enough. I mean, years worth of wages wouldn't take care of all of these people. We can't do this. And so Jesus right there where they see no way to minister to them, no way to meet their needs, no way to feed the people. says, have them sit down in groups of 50s and 100s. And give me the bread and give me the fish. And he distributes it and everyone has something to eat. 
Jesus is walking, and a, a man comes and says, my daughter is dying, she's sick, and you need to come and heal her. And Jesus says, okay, we'll, we'll go to the house. But as he's on the way to the house, this woman grabs the hem of his garment. And he says, I felt power go out from me. And his disciples said, what do you mean, Jesus? There's all these people. Of course people are touching you. What do you mean people touched you? He said, no, I, I felt this power go out from me. And this woman's healed. And just then, the man comes and sends word to Jesus that the daughter has died. And the disciples want to give up. And so does the man. And Jesus says, no, let's still go to the house. And he goes to the house and they get there and all these people are following to see what Jesus is going to do. And he leaves everyone else outside and he takes Peter, James, and John in along with the mom and the dad. And he speaks to this little girl and says, no, she's just asleep. And raises her from the dead. And just after that, Jesus grabs these 12 guys. And he says, here's what we're going to do. You're going to go out on your own now. And you're not going to take anything for the journey. And you're going to go find a place to stay. And my spirit's going to be with you. And then there's this moment as Jesus is getting closer and closer to his death, where he goes up on this mountain. And there he's transfigured. And Peter and James and John are the three that are with him. And they're sitting here like, this is not good for us to be here. Like, we want to make shelters. And Jesus is like, no, just, just be here. I want you to realize the magnitude of who I am. And then, I think one of the most beautiful stories. There's a demon-possessed boy. And they've gone to the disciples and said, can you pray and cast out these demons? And they can't do it. And the man comes to Jesus, and Jesus casts out the demons. And it seems like the crowd's kind of windled down and there's not many people left and the disciples say, Jesus, come here, come here. Why couldn't we do what you did? You gave us power to cast out demons. You gave us power to heal the sick. Why couldn't we do that? And Jesus, I think, leans in. says, this kind this kind only comes out through prayer. And you have to have faith. See, Jesus is constantly doing ministry with other people. And he is sharing with them. He's walking alongside of them. These hand-picked few. And then, as they do ministry... He does it alongside of them, and then they talk about it. I, I understand you didn't know how to cast this demon out, but let me, let me, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what that looks like. Here, here's what we've typically done in our churches. We serve, and we do a job, because the job is to get the job done. And then we do that for several years, and we get tired of it, and we say, Okay, I think I'm tired 
Y'all find someone else. Find someone else to teach the three-year-olds. Find someone else to fix the air conditioner. Find someone else to run the sound. Find someone else. What if our ministry model was flipped? And what if we no longer saw the purpose in doing ministry as accomplishing a task, but empowering and walking alongside other people and teaching them to do what we do. Because someday, someone else will do what you do. But there's a few buts. So this section is called butt removal. Not very creative, sorry. But, but here, here's the buts. But I don't know enough. You want me to share with someone how to do it, but I don't know enough. Here, here's when you're going to be ready. Here's when you're going to know enough to share and teach someone else to do when you do. Never. There will never be a place where you get to in ministry and as a leader where you think, I've got it all figured out. I know how to do it. I, I know everything there is to know. You will never be ready. The point is not to share with them everything to know about the topic and about the subject and about how to do what you do. It's just simply to share with them how you do it. If you teach a class, if you are a teacher, your job is not just simply to be a teacher. I think it's to teach other people how to teach. Well, how are we going to get other teachers? Well, we're going to empower them. We're going to walk alongside them. We're going to teach with them, and then we're going to let them do it. Here's the next but that comes. But what will I do? If I'm multiplying myself and there's more people to do it, what, what will I do? Two things are going to happen. You're going to become a multi-generational leader, or you'll become a multi-site leader. Because you have a bigger reach now. You have the ability to step back and impact more people in more different areas. And then the last one, and then I think this one is probably scary, especially for our older people. But what if they mess it up? I know. Here's the deal. You messed it up. And the church is not as perfect and pristine as we like to think it is. Because it's made up of people. Along the way, you've made mistakes. And you've learned. Yeah, I think there's two, two ways to look at things. We were successful or we learned a really good way not to do it. But in that, we're growing. We're growing and we're learning and we're ministering. The point is not just simply accomplishing a task. It's not just getting a job done. The, the, the point is to pour into people. So how do we do that? Don't forget your meds. First, model. 
we model ministry. We show people what we do. Second, we explain. Here's why we do this. It's important to teach because we need to teach people how to follow Jesus. We need to teach people how to be formed in his image. We need to teach our children. We need to run sound or video because this is important. This is why it's important. This is what matters. And then third, we demonstrate. We demonstrate. And then number four is we ate. We demonstrate. We demonstrate how we do it. Now understand, listen, 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 listen. Because here's where it usually stalls out. Is we de- and can you take that, just go to the next slide, because that looks really bad, sorry. Um, we demonstrate how we do it. This is not how you need to do it. This is just how I do it. This is not the correct way to do it, but this is how I do it. And we teach people how to do what we do. Because we understand that one day, someone will do what we do. And we think it would be great to be around to see them do it. And our model, what we typically think is, let's start a class. Let's start a class. Or let's start a program. Let's do this on Wednesday nights. Let's all get together and let's teach everyone. This is not a program. Jesus' ministry was not a class. It was life on life, walking alongside one another. That's at the very core what discipleship looks like. Because a disciple of the rabbi was someone who wanted more than anything else to be like the rabbi. And so if your rabbi taught and said a prayer, you want to listen so that you can learn to pray like him. That's what Jesus did. He multiplied himself. And then he said, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send my spirit into you. And it's going to be better that I'm not with you. I mean, do you realize that? Jesus comes to these disciples who walked with him the whole time, and he says, this is better that I go away and I leave you, because if I don't leave you, I can't send my comforter and my spirit to live inside of you and empower you. And to me, that's crazy. I want Jesus there when I see someone who I can't cast out the demon to say, Jesus, what do I do? I want that. Jesus, I got this really big decision to make, and I'm not. It's better that I go away. Because if I don't go away, I can't send my spirit to live inside of you. He has empowered you. He has empowered me for ministry. So let's start redefining success. And success is not measured by how capable you are at handling your responsibilities. Success is measured by whether or not you leave your responsibilities in capable hands. We think it's so important here that we do intergenerational ministry. That we look to the people who are coming alongside. Because listen, one day... Someone else will do what you do. And I want Shiloh Road to be here a hundred years from now. But if we don't start looking behind us and pulling aside some younger people and saying, hey, 
Come, come learn how to do what I do. then there's no one going to be following along behind. Shepherds, who are you pouring your life into that one day could be a shepherd of this church? Ministry leaders, deacons, teachers, who are you pouring your life into that's coming along behind you? that one day will do what you do. Gary Albritton, who am I pouring my life into? Who will one day do what I do? I love doing this. I do. But I also know that one day, someone will stand in this spot every week besides me. See, our ministry has a shelf life. Eventually, it's going to run out. And I don't want to talk about the reasons why. It just It's inevitable, and we know it. Who are the people coming along behind you that you're pouring your life into? This last year, we began in our student ministry, five to one, trying to surround our teenagers with five significant relationships of caring adults. Who are you pouring your life into? Who are you walking alongside? Who, who are you looking out for? See, everyone, listen, everyone who is a leader has a platform. And your platform has a purpose. If you are a teacher, here or in a school, your platform has a purpose. If you are a coach, your platform has a purpose. If you are a leader and you do a ministry, your platform has a purpose. God has placed you there for a reason. And it's not just simply to do a job. Because if you do a job and you never bring anyone alongside you to do it, when your ministry ends, that's when the actual ministry ends. So we begin with this assumption. Someday, someone else will do what you do. Wouldn't it be great if you could be around to see him do it? Father, we thank you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for, Father, calling us to ministry. We thank you for giving us gifts and allowing us to serve. But, Father, may we never see our job, the way that we serve, our responsibility, our leadership, is just simply a task that needs to be done. That, Father, it is about people. It's about empowering people so that your kingdom will continue on. Father, as we move forward, may we hand off the church to the next generation in better shape than it was handed to us. Father, we believe 
when you say that there is no power that is going to prevail against your church, that you mean it. That we don't have to protect it. We are not the protectors of it. We just simply live and embody it. That you gave your life to protect it. You gave your life to give it life. And Father, we pray that we would find life in you. That, that the job is not about perfection. It's about pointing people to the perfect one and finding our hope and finding our strength in you. And so, Father, as your people, we pray that you would empower us, that you would send us out, that you would make us a light to this world. Father, help us as leaders to look behind us and see who's coming along that can follow us on this journey that we wouldn't do ministry alone. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And we offer you the invitation this morning, if you want to give your life to Christ, come, be washed in the water, be made new, and begin a new life in Him. Um, if we could pray for you in any way, um, I want to encourage you. But, but above all, I want to encourage you as leaders to look behind you and see those who are coming along behind.